the AWS for Software Companies podcast, Episode 3, Accelerate Machine Learning for Software as a Service Projects, with Kanishka Mohea of Rocked. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AWS for Software Companies podcast, where we talk to software leaders around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming the challenges, and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. Today, episode number three, we're discussing how to accelerate machine learning for SaaS projects and hearing from Kanishka Mohea, Vice President of Engineering, Data and Machine Learning at Rocked and how they are using AI and ML to improve their customer experience. Hello everyone, my name is Kanishka. I am the VP of Engineering at Rocked. And allow me to start by saying what a pleasure it is to be here at AWS reInvent. I've come all the way from Sydney, so it's amazing to be here at Vegas. Uh, I wanted to first go through what we do at Rocked, who is Rocked, and why we do what we do. Um, And why is ML important for us? Uh, What kind of general use cases are you know, ML applies to and what do we do at Rocked. And just take you through a, a bit of a journey that we've gone through over the, the last six or seven years at Rocked, uh, how we've gone through and built these systems, and then perhaps just share some next steps and the plans that we've got with AWS. So uh, we use machine learning and data to, to show um, our consumers and our customers very hyper-focused and very personalized actions and experiences. Uh, and you might think, you know, what does it actually mean? If you think about um, an e-commerce transaction, you'll have uh, multiple parties coming together in each instance. You'll have perhaps um, a payment provider, a shipping provider. You might have insurance and et cetera coming together and working together to make sure they provide an optimal outcome to that end con- consumer. However, uh, you might have come across some, uh, say, non-optimized experiences. You might have seen that you might have been shown an offer as you go through the checkout process, an upsell offer that you might have said no to multiple times in the past. You might have said no to a, a credit card sign up uh, multiple, multiple times in the past, but you might get to see that all the time. And that's because a lot of these e-commerce businesses uh, just hard code um, the, the experience. Uh, all the offers, there's a lot of different offers, a lot of options are shown to end consumers, um, and the parts are hard-coded. But showing multiple offers, a lot of options to consumers may not be the best, uh, most optimal experience, right? We know that humans go to this decision fatigue. If you go to a, um, say, you go to a supermarket, you have a lot of different options for a toothpaste, a hundred different options, you get confused which one to pick. And this is called the paradox of choice. So what we do here is we try to solve this paradox of choice problem and also show a very optimal and personalized offer at the right time to the right consumer. Um, and this is what Rock does. This is our technology. We're a startup uh, from Sydney, and now we're across uh, Sydney, New York, and a few different locations, and we're trying to solve, uh, or we actually solve this problem. We have, uh, in, over the last 12 months, we've, we've actually powered over a billion plus uh, e-commerce transactions. Uh, this is across different, 19 different global markets. Quite a few different industry verticals, you know, entertainment, travel, uh, retail, food delivery, and B2B. And you might recognize some of these brands, or maybe most of these brands. And as, as you go through the checkout process for each of these, or any of these kind of brands, you might go Ticketmaster or like Domino's, then our API gets hit. Um, so the problem for us is 
how do we make sure that we can, and this is quite a, a small sample, we have a pretty big dynamic marketplace, you have a thousand different you know, supply side, demand side uh, customers, and the challenge is how do you make sure that, uh, similar to, to the previous speakers, is that how do you make sure that you can actually scale with, with a large number of requests coming through, uh, you're predicting these in a timely fashion, perhaps uh, in a milliseconds. Um, so I wanted to kind of go through just into the technical solution that we've got, but at a high level, machine learning kind of falls into two different use cases. We have the, the batch processing systems that are required to run uh, some process offline, either weekly, monthly, or a daily basis. You get your data stored in some uh, S3 storage system like S3 or Redshift or something like that. You run some data processing, normalization, transformations, model training, uh, run some evaluations, everything is good. You, you store your predictions, and the predictions are used for action by someone. Uh, sometimes they might end up in just uh, presentations and dashboards, but sometimes uh, they get actioned. Uh, but in real-time systems, you will get a, re a request coming in real-time, having the actual data, you know, all the features required to make that prediction. You have a real-time uh, inferencing engine could be SageMaker, may not, could be not SageMaker, but it will be basically, it will have the model uh, loaded in real time and they, in memory and then just make a prediction, send the results back. Uh, and then as it goes along, it will be lo logging all of its real-time decisioning uh, for historical training to see how it went. Did it go well, did it not go well, then do some data processing again. This part kind of remains the same. And then as the model artifacts are loaded in some storage system or some model registry, it's loaded back by the uh, real-time inferencing engine. This is kind of the common pattern. And as you might have realized, at Rock we have the real-time um, use case. So what do we do at Rock? Uh, we have integrations with our e-commerce partners, uh, and these integrations could be via uh, mobile SDKs, could be by web SDKs via JavaScript, uh, or it could be just server-to-server uh, -server integration. We try to make these very simple and seamless integration so that it works with the existing uh, technologies. And what they pass to us in real time is they pass some customer data, some contextual information, some historical behavior also is passed to us. Uh, customer data could be just, say, demographic information, and context is like, what did you buy? Which website did you buy something from? How much did you pay for it? That's sent to us, and then we make uh, a real-time prediction. The overall timing, we, uh, we try to stay under 450 milliseconds uh, for P99 latency. Um, on a daily basis, we get about 17 million trend, uh, requests per day, which is about six or seven billion um, requests per year. We have about 60 different proprietary models that we've built from scratch. and These pipelines are all running, deployed in production, running in, um, in parallel. Uh, we have around like 100 online offline features that are learned by these models. Um, and we process about terabytes of data on a daily basis to train these models. And we make about 60 million predictions a day. Um, so as you can see, the challenge is more around the scale of it for us, especially in Sydney, you don't get this kind of scale. And um, in Sydney, most of the teams are pretty small as well. Um, and how do you build a system? How do you, you know, we've gone through a, a devolution and journey, so I just want to share that with you guys. So one might say you just use AWS, and there you go, you've solved the problem. But we know that it's not as trivial as that. AWS provides you with all of the different building blocks, but you have to do a bit more than that. But uh, did you know that 85% of AI projects actually fail? These stats from, come from Gartner. But why do you think these things fail? Because 
machining is very, very hard. It's not easy to build. A system that is consistently um, accurate, it can make predictions at scale, uh, and there's a higher load of engineering operational overload on your team. So what are some of the key factors that drives failure for a lot of these organizations, and what have we done to avoid these? I think a lot of them comes to um, poor hiring practices. A lot of teams, a lot of companies do not know what to hire for, what to look for. They might focus a lot on modeling, and they might just hire a bunch of data scientists that just know how to do the modeling part, but then completely miss on the operational side of things. Uh, this might result in you creating some poorer team structures or maybe inefficient team structures. You might have uh, you know, a bunch of maybe a group of statisticians, mathematicians, building a model, but then throwing it over the wall for someone else to deploy. That person doesn't quite know how to debug it, doesn't know, how, you know what is this model supposed to be doing. That will create a lot of friction, and time to production, time to market gets longer and longer, and something in. And the failures, a lot of teams also love to create very, very complex systems from, from the get-go. They love to create a whole bunch of ensembles or just dive deep into deep learning. Uh, increasing the complexity of the systems without actually having a good intuition about the systems, about the data. Um, and uh, complex systems uh, have, you know, costly because running it is, is expensive. Uh, you don't know how to interpret the, the results if you don't have uh, the right experience and expertise. And I think lack of engineering skills and best practices leads to these kind of challenges. So earlier on at Rock, we realized that we wanted to build teams so that we could own things end-to-end. -end. So we built, we treat machine learning just as a product. Uh, and we've got a team, teams organized around problem spaces. We have product managers, edge managers, and a bunch of group of engineers that own that problem space. And they will own everything from end-to-end, -end, from the research part to POC to productionizing and then deploying in production and kind of maintaining it going forward. And also we kind of do a lot of things around to make sure that people are continuously into innovating. Um, we, in terms of our OKR approaches, we have a mix of top-down and bottom-up bottom approaches, uh, a lot of paper reading sessions, a lot of hackathons, weekly and monthly showcases uh, to help innovation and knowledge sharing. So that's kind of around the teams. Um, and then we also realized that model training is just a very tiny part of the, the overall problem, right? You can see that everything else is much bigger. And uh, the operational load is much higher. You need to have a lot of engineering resources to be able to build an end-to-end real-time service. So what was our journey? Uh, we started, I started about five and a half, six years ago at Rocked. Uh, and what we, we did was we initially we tried to use a lot of uh, hosted services. So this is a very high-level and very simplistic architectural diagram. There's a lot of more complexity involved, but I've just tried to make it very simple. So as we were getting requests coming through, you will have, because we have so many different customers, and if you remember from my previous slide, the customer will be sending us uh, information about the customers, like demographic information, contextual information. Each of these e-commerce businesses might be sending the data in slightly different formats. So it's essential that you have, and since this is real-time, you need to have some sort of a real-time enrichment, data transformation, and data normalization system. So early on, we had kind of developed this, uh, created an API that encapsulates all those complexities, and we run a bunch of managed services, a mix of EC2s, lambdas, and perhaps like ECS containers that were doing different things. Some of them are doing enrichment, some of them are doing transformation, normalization. An example is that somebody might pass you, you know, an American business might send you data vert in a month in a 
month, day, year, and then in Australia, one might send you a day and a month and a year or something like that. So this is a very simple example. Then we kind of used um, SNSSQS-based data collection systems and uh, firehose a bunch of data into S3, and then use Redshift for our data warehousing system. And then our, we had a bunch of different use cases, like you know, obviously analytics, reporting, and then model building. Um, and we used models that were running on EC2s. In those days, SageMaker, this is pre predate SageMaker. And we were just getting the data from the Redshift warehouse, data warehouse, on an, an hourly basis, and building the models, putting the model artifacts in S3, loading it into our online auctioning and ranking system. And then, uh, because it's a two-sided market, we need to run an auction. So all of those things, uh, in those days, this was a run. This would run all of those things less than 100 milliseconds. But as we, we started to scale, it became very expensive to maintain Lambdas, because Lambdas are pretty expensive. So, but the, good, the cool thing is that AWS provides you other options. So we started to migrate away from Lambdas and kind of standardized our compute and uh, started to set up our own EKS clusters. So all of our computes run on Kubernetes. Uh, we started to move away from SNSSQS again because we make, uh, we make revenue every time a request comes through. So if our revenue is going up and then our costs go up in tandem with it per request, that's not a very good business model for us. So we standardized our data collection um, and data streaming systems. We deployed our own Kafka clusters on running on EKS. So kind of replace that with Kafka, a bunch of EKS class containers there. And then we built our own lake house. Uh, we, instead of using Redshift, uh, because Redshift kind of hit its limits if we use a whole bunch of different use cases of like running Tableau reports, ad hoc analytics, uh, and cron jobs and schedule jobs, Redshift was not the best solution for that. So we kind of separated those things and started to build a lake house. We evaluated Iceberg, Hoodie, uh, Delta Lake. We finally uh, went with Iceberg. Uh, and then f for our ML pipelines, we, we uh, decided to go down open source route um, and use Qflow plus TFX. And then we also built a feature store. And we did evaluate the SageMaker feature store, but it did not have the online transformations. You have to use a data wrangler or something along those lines. Uh, so it didn't quite fit our requirements, so we built our own feature store as well. And this is kind of the high-level architecture of where we ended up. So we started with a lot of managed services because we didn't have the resources, we didn't have the teams to, to manage the operational side of things, but as our teams grew, as the company grew, and as the cost became a little bit unbearable, so we started to move towards services that were more suitable to our needs. And the cool thing was that AWS actually had those options. And then uh, this is kind of how do we roll out new models on Kubeflow and TFX. So TFX has a bunch of components like example gen, statics, stats gen, schema gen, which is the very beginning part of it. Example gen kind of gets the data, splits it into uh, uh, tests and uh, train and validation. And then you get some basic statistics generated uh, about distributions and whatnot. And then do some transformations, then you have the actual model training happening here, evaluation, tuner, then the pusher is uh, your servers that then pushes out the model into some sort of a target. Could be S3, could be, could be something else. So this comes from Google, and it's open source project, so we use this on top of Kubeflow. The Kubeflow pipelines is the orchestration there, and then everything runs on EKS containers for us. 
And this provides us the most amount of flexibility for our use cases. And the other part is that uh, the, the important part is actually making sure that everything is observable. We're measuring and observing the model and at different stages in the state of the pipeline. So we, uh, at high level, we look at a lot of metrics around model performance, model evaluation, around feature drift, model the actual infrastructure uh, health and the data quality. And these are a kind of summary of all the essential uh, metrics I think you need to kind of uh, log. We actually use Datadog for our um, monitoring and observability systems. And this is kind of the, the overall design of our systems. As next steps, we've had a few challenges uh, as well. We want to further improve our training times. Our training times, as we have evolved, we have, we've gone through some very simple uh, modeling techniques to kind of more, more and more complex use cases. Uh, currently, we use a whole lot of dif different types of deep learning architectures. And deep learning models uh, do take a bit longer to train. So our target, and from, from, for our business, model stainless correlates with revenue, and it has a, a dollar cost. So we want to make sure that we, we stay below 60 uh, minutes of training time. And the, the other challenge that we've had with the, if you go to the, the previous, there is a, there's a model evaluator in China. Uh, this is not, uh, we've had some challenges with that, uh, with TFX. So uh, we've been experimenting with Inferentia and we plan to use Trainium to perhaps help us scale the tuning, because as you know, if you're doing hyperparameter tuning, you have to try a whole lot of different hyperparameters in parallel. So the, if your model takes a few hours, this will take much, much longer to, um, to train. We're looking at that and um, yeah, experimenting with that, and we haven't had any results yet, so we'll, we'll see how we go. Okay. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe in your favorite podcast app to hear more stories and guidance from software leaders around the world on their journeys to the cloud and the role that Amazon Web Services can play in your success.